This morning, I do want to start, I don't often do this, but I want to give a quick welcome to our radio and online friends. It's neat to think that they're listening after the fact, but it's, they're listening to what's happening right now. So welcome to our online and radio friends. It's so good that you're listening to us. So uh, after a, a nearly two months, I guess you can look at it like a rest stop, it's a big rest stop. I mean, it was, it was a well-intentioned layover, I, I guess you could look at it that way, a layover for the last seven weeks. We are back on our journey through the book of Philippians. So I'm going to encourage you to take the handout out that's in your little bulletin there, and you can follow along on the backside uh, through basically what we've been through already to bring us up to speed, back to where we've been. Uh, we've been talking about these themes through the book in Philippians 1 and 2. A gospel-centered life that is lived out in unity and lived out through humility. Um, I'm not going to go back and review that in a massive way, but realizing chapters one and chapters two, chapters one and two both talk about this unity that we have in Jesus Christ. This unity that happens and compels us to humility. A couple of the verses that we just attached ourselves as kind of key verses through chapters 1 and 2 would be Philippians 1.27. I'm just going to read that here to remind us to kind of set the stage for where we've been. Paul says to this church in Philippi, through the Holy Spirit, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So often in Christian community, you see a little bit of striving face to face. That is not the intention of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we stand side by side in unity in Christ. The only time there's a bit of this going on is when there is doctrinal, when doctrinal clarity needs to happen. When errancy has happened in doctrine, you might see a little bit of this or sometimes a lot of this in the church. But other than that, what you see, the intention of the scripture is that we stand side by side, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We do this through the humility of Christ. If you remember with me in chapter 2, very clearly we find this, this, this compelling argument to live humility. Let me just read some of these verses. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, being in unity, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And then he says this, have this mind be in you, which was in, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this humility of mind isn't something we just fashion as a congregation. This is something that was lived out by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A gospel-centered life, here's what we came up with through this text. A gospel-centered life will wholeheartedly pursue unity through humility. So that may have been the quickest review of two chapters we have ever done. 
But now we're ready to enter into chapter 3. Just over halfway through this book, we find this amazing section starting off with a dynamic imperative. So if you would follow along as I read verses 1 through 3, we're going to kind of hang out in verses 1 through 3 today. Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, here's the dynamic imperative, rejoice in the Lord. Now he says this, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. And verse 2, catch this. Look out for dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh. I want to jump right into this text today. Sometimes we spend a little bit more time in introduction. I want to jump right into this and look at this first imperative. What's the first imperative? And honestly, this imperative, I I know there's debate when it comes to commentaries and different ones that study this passage. There's debate whether the first verse in chapter 3 runs all the way through as like a primary imperative. I honestly believe this one imperative drives the discussion all the way through chapter 3. This imperative is rejoice in the Lord. And it's in an imperative form. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. For believers, followers of Jesus Christ, worshipers of God through Jesus Christ, it is commanded for you and for me to rejoice. So if this is commanded, we should probably talk about this. But before we even get to that, I love this. As a preacher, I love the first three letters, or words. Finally, my brothers. Well, if you haven't noticed, he's got two chapters left. <laughs> so this brings complete solace to my heart, knowing that sometimes I'm like, okay, one last point. Hour and a half later, I'm still waxing eloquent in the scriptures. You know what I'm talking about. That's what we think that he's saying finally as in, here, this is the last round. Here's my last imperative. But I do think we need to acknowledge the fact that this finally is not a finality in the discussion. It's a transition. So as we see this, finally, my brothers, as we unpack this passage, finally, my brothers, you can more or less say it like this, furthermore, brothers, or based on what I just said, now we're entering into a further discussion, not finally, I have one more thing. It is, here comes some more. Based on what we just said, here comes some more information. So don't forget what I just said, but now here's something else to hold on to. He says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice. This direct imperative. And I love this because uh, some would say that this verse kind of stands alone and doesn't impact the verses behind it that come subsequent. Because grammatically, there's sort of a cut between verse 1 and 2. But honestly, I think it does. And the impact of what is said in the next couple verses that we look at, we're going to see together that rejoice in the Lord dynamically impacts what we read in verses 2 and 3. But Paul says, rejoice. What is this? Well, you could say it in common terms, right? Be happy. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, be cheerful. Be noticeably glad. 
I mean, I think all of us have interacted at some point in time in Christian circles and we're like, oh man, I do not want to be happy today. You know what that morning's like. You know what that's week, that week's like and you're like, you know, I need to obey God and, and join corporate worship today, but I don't want to see anybody. You know what that's like and that loving brother or sister in Christ comes to you in the congregation they say, man, Jesus changed your heart? Yes, he changed my heart, and they lovingly say, well, go ahead and tell your face that he changed your heart, <laughs> right? The scripture here says rejoice, be glad in the Lord, be happy. I love this, though, because when we talk about this joy in the scripture, it's not this superficial kind of put-on joy that ignores real life. Because I think all of us have seen, interacted probably with, in Christian circles with people who are like, dude... Come down to real life for a couple minutes. Stuff really happens in life. I love what these commentaries say. One of these, two of these guys in particular say this. Not a, this is not a superficial cheerfulness that ignores life's realities, but a joy that takes into account hardships and recognizes God's mighty working in and through those circumstances to fulfill his own purposes in Christ. Just like we talked of last week. Rejoice in the Lord, realizing this. He doesn't always have to extract me out of the trial, but I know he's going to walk with me through the trial. Rejoice in the Lord that he is with me. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Um, And honestly, when you look at this, this rejoice is kind of like this refrain. It's a chorus that shows up through the book of Philippians. Uh, Three primary times you'll see this chorus appear, but honestly, 14 different times through the book, we find this root word in some form, joy. Joy is a massive theme through this book. Joy in the Lord, and that's the qualifier in this verse. Don't just put on a smile and pretend everything's okay. Don't just find this joy based on your own willpower. I'm going to be joyful today. Where is this joy found? This joy is found in Jesus Christ. Our true joy, our true happiness comes through the clear recognition of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. Finally, brothers, finally believers here, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, I want to continue on the thought here. And like we said, we're just kind of Peeling this back a little bit, one phrase at a time. Here's another phrase, and I love this. His primary imperative, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, brothers, we're transitioning now. Gospel-centered life, unity and humility. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Why is this important? Because so easy in living this life of gospel, unity and humility, we're we're tempted to go through despair. Brothers and sisters, it's not easy. Living the Christian life is not easy. It's tough sometimes. And Paul says in this life, this Christian life, realize it's tough, but even in this, intentionally decide to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, and then, I love this phrase, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's safe for you. What's he saying? 
Like there's this little addition right into this, this verse. Here's basically what he's saying. What I'm about to tell you, you've heard from me before. So whether he taught them in person when he, when he was interacting with the church or he wrote this prior, somehow Paul has shared some of these things with this church already. He's already talked of some of these things. But he said, but I don't mind saying it again. In fact, I'm not going to hesitate one little bit to share it with you again because it's going to keep you safe. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is not dissimilar to what many of us do with kids every single day. Sharing this warning, sharing this safeguard over and over and over and over again. I mean, we're talking about things like don't run across the street without looking both ways. Or you're not going to tell your three-year-old don't run across the street without looking both ways and be like, okay, I told them. Check. Done. They'll figure it out. No, you're going to regu- regularly share with them, don't cross the street without looking both ways. Same like things like when my kids are making smoothies, don't put your fingers in the blender. When you're mowing the lawn, don't put your foot close to the lawnmower. I mean, when they mow the lawn, I tell them that every single time. Don't get close to the blades. Uh, I mean, dirt biking. We like to dirt bike. There's some other friends here that enjoy the same thing. I mean, when, we're, when, I, when I put my kids on a dirt bike, I don't call it a throttle. I call it a weapon. <laughs> Beware of the weapon handle. Watch it, especially when you're in groups. Don't throttle up hard. All right, wear your helmet. That's a big one for our family. Wear your helmet. When you go into a turn and you're already in the turn, don't panic and grab your front brake. That goes badly. Personal experience on that one. I may or may not have some good scars on that one. I mean, I think of these other things. We, we, we shoot as a family, and I think of whenever guns come out, I don't just tell them one time. I tell them every time we shoot, keep that muzzle under control. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. Make sure your safety's on all the time. Action open when you're not shooting. These are all things we talk of regularly. and It's not a one-and-done thing. We're constantly sharing these warnings with my daughters. Beware of boys. Yes. This is a regular thing. All right? Those dudes who want to make you a trophy to conquer rather than a person, a child of God to love. Look out for those dudes. There's warnings that we share regularly. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, here, I've shared this with you before. You know what? I'm going to keep on sharing it with you because this is going to protect your joy. There's some things I'm about to tell you that are going to protect your joy in a massive way. And so then what does he say right after this? This beautiful verse. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What in the world is Paul saying here? Just talking about these safeguards to the church, and now he's saying something very important. And I think we need to, we need to wholeheartedly embrace this verse, even though it's a little awkward for us to read. Look out for the dogs, really? What is he saying? I believe this is exactly what he's saying. Be cautious of those who will minimize the sufficiency of the gospel, even in a vicious way. 
Those who see the sufficiency of the gospel and try to, act, try to get you to add something to it. They're attacking the sufficiency of the gospel. And as they attack it, what's happening is you're watching and all of a sudden your, your joy meter starts dropping quickly. Why? Because you're jumping on the, in the performance trap. You're jumping on the performance treadmill thinking, I can do something to earn my way to a right standing before God. And what's Paul say? Be careful. Be careful of these dogs. Okay. <laughs> what about this dog thing? Well, actually, before we even get to that, notice three times. Look out, look out, look out. These are also imperatives. And this is where some people say, some commentators say, verse 2 isn't so connected to verse 1. Well, I think it's probably even for effect. I can't state that dogmatically. Oh, boy. But I can't say when, I, when I'm sharing something with my kids, like beware, sometimes I'll stop and I'll pause. And I'll be like, David, look out. And I'll get serious. Beware. Some of your translations actually say that word. Beware. 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 Three times. When you go to the scriptures, actually, when you see something show up three times, there's, there's a pretty good indication that's for emphasis. Beware of this. And now Paul is saying, beware of something that's going to steal your joy. And he references these same group of people three different ways in this verse. Beware of dogs. Beware of evildoers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. Honestly, I was thinking about this this, this week. Have you ever noticed how many cautions are in our lives? I had to go back and get my blessed California license. And go through this handbook again. And I went through the pages on the caution signs. And I'm like, there's a caution for everything. This week I was thinking about that. You look at cautions around us. They are all over the place. Caution for everything. You can make a caution sign for anything and everything. Usually they're with these, these yellow signs. Sometimes with red lettering on a white sign. And usually you'll find the words caution, beware, or warning. They're everywhere. They're on your toaster. I mean, you buy something, I, I love this, I, new to the state, right? I love these warnings that say these are known to the state of California to produce cancer. Nowhere else is it known, but here it will give you that cancer, right? <laughs> Beware. They're all over the place. Some of them are natural. Uh, we lived by a mine up in the mountains, and there was definitely signs like this. Beware of hazardous waste that comes filtered out of the mine, the tailing ponds. Uh, there's other signs all over where we used to live. Beware of the ice. Beware of the snow. But there's some that are not so natural. <laughs> I was looking at these this week, just cracking up, sitting there and studying and thinking, oh dear. How about this one on the left? Danger! <laughs> Arrows to the knee. Who puts that up? I know there's some really bad archers in this room. But if you've got to put that up, there's a problem. Uh, the one in the middle, I don't know how many of us want to put this up in our car. Beware of morons. Then, I mean, you all see beware of dogs and stuff. This one's like, beware of the geese, the guard geese. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, I was thinking about a couple others this week. I found this one. Have you seen this one? All right. 
caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of the sign. And also, uh, the bridge is out ahead. <laughs> I was like, yeah. How about this one? Danger. The dog has a gun and refuses to take his medication. <laughs> you can't see it super clearly, but this one was in England this week, looking at this beware sign. Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. <laughs> I'd like to see them try to go pay that fine, you know. It's on the tramway authority. Uh, this one cracked me up. <laughs> if you're driving and you see this side on the road, you better look out because there's crawling people in the road. <laughs> uh, drunken people crossing. Um, okay. <laughs> what does this say? Somehow, if you're in your wheelchair and you get going fast, look out for the alligators. I just want to know where this sign is. I couldn't stop laughing when I saw this this week. This one's good. Please be safe. Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals, is that a zoo? If you fall, animals could eat you and they might get sick. All right, maybe one or two more. We were, in the, we were hiking at Fern Canyon. Have you ever been up there and you see this sign? I walked by and I love hunting elk. And I looked at that thing and I was like, you got to be kidding me. The next week, Mark Barons went there and he took the same photo. And he put some, some phrase on there like, like elk dance party or something like that. Beware of the elk dance party. That definitely looks like what we're being invited to here. Caution, elk are dancing. I had a question about that one. Okay, we were going to put this outside the nursery. <laughs> Warning, Danielle's like, praise Jesus. Warning, children left unattended will be sold to the circus. <laughs> I love that one. Um, that went, goes right along with this other one my daughter found. We were talking about this. Unattended children will be given an energy drink and taught to swear. <laughs> That's awful, sorry. <laughs> But that is a sign out there. Um, beware of, well, just beware. They're all over the place. One last one. I, I, I didn't put this one up there, but caution. I only do what the voices in my wife's head tell her to tell me to do. <laughs> all right. So we can laugh about these warning signs, these bewares. But I actually, I want us to think about these signs in terms of this passage, all right? So we can bring full circle back to the passage. Beware, beware, beware. But honestly, when I read the first one here, beware of dogs, I can imagine as this is being read to the church of Philippi, there were some of those same smirks, laughs, and just a little bit of a sense. They're reading, and all of a sudden, Paul going through this amazing argument about the humility of Jesus Christ and the gospel center and all of a sudden he's like beware of dogs the dogs and probably some of them are like <laughs> they like nudge each other did you just can you read that one more time is that really what it says well why is that so important beware of the dogs well here's why it's so important is because that is that is exactly what the elitist Jews called the gentiles you are dogs. You are unclean. You have no right to a standing before God. 
And now Paul the Apostle is writing to a church predominantly of these saved Gentiles. And he says, beware of dogs. And who has he just referenced as dogs? It is the Jews. The Jews who hold their standard of righteousness above the sufficient work of Christ on the cross. He says, beware of them. Beware that they steal your joy. I mean, this is often different than how we look at the concept of dogs because honestly in our culture dogs have more rights or more they're protected more than even some human beings I was down in San Francisco a couple weeks ago and my dog took care of his business on the sidewalk and I had to clean it up but then the legislation down there says I you know if a person needs to do it that's okay you can take care of your business right there but I'm cleaning up my dog's stuff so anyway Dogs sometimes are protected even more than humans, and so we think of them as dog, uh, as man's best friends, right? That's the, the thought in our minds, is when we talk of dogs, they're really nice. That is not this concept. And it's hard for us to break out of that thinking. I mean, I found myself, as embarrassing as it is, I hang out with my dogs, my dog, Hunter. We go on runs together. We walk around the property together. I go on prayer walks with my dog. He has no clue what I'm saying. But I'm talking to Jesus, and I found myself last week, or a couple weeks ago, looking down at Hunter as he's walking around with me, just being a good listener, saying, Hunter, I really love you, Hunter. What? Did I just say I love my dog? Well, that's how we naturally think of dogs, is their affection. That is not this passage. This passage, it's a very vicious type scenario. A couple years ago, I ran into this. About five years ago, in a very real way, uh, I, was, I parked our vehicle um, in my front yard. All of a sudden, the neighbor boy, a, a young, is a high school boy, young high school, older junior high boy, a big fella, was in the middle of the road coming over towards our house, and his Doberman Pinscher attacked him. His own Doberman Pinscher started mauling him up on his neck, just digging in, and this kid's screaming. And I'm like, I got to do something. I stepped out there right away trying to be cautious about it, but that dog took one step and he was at my throat. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at my chin sometime, I shouldn't bring this up, there's a bit of a gash in my chin. That was from this dog. This dog took one bite of my chin. I shirked him off. He also got a hold of the back seat of my pants. <laughs> we won't talk about that too much. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, sometimes these dogs who seem nice turn on you like that in a vicious way. And that is in a real sense what Paul is de- dealing with here. There's, there's people that call themselves followers of God, but they've attached themselves to a system of theology that is not biblical. That is not according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That takes the gospel of Jesus Christ and undermines it and takes the sufficiency of human beings and lifts it up. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Beware of the dogs. Again, not Rufus or Max or Duke, but beware of those who will try to derail you theologically. Those who maximize earning and minimize gospel grace. Those who viciously parade self-sufficiency and brutally minimize the sufficiency of the true gospel of God's grace on a needy person. Beware. Why? Because that's going to steal your joy. As soon as we jump on the performance wagon, 
the treadmill of performance, we quickly exhaust ourselves and realize that human earning will never give us a right standing before God. We keep going through this text. He says, look out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Again, referencing the same group of people, those who don't follow God's plan for righteousness and therefore practice evil. God's plan for righteousness is only through Jesus Christ as new covenant believers. Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Those who make a plan to come to God, beware because it's going to steal your joy. Hold yourself to the gospel. Cling to the gospel with everything we have. It is sufficient. Evil is what happens when God has created something good, something righteous, and then his creations attempt to destroy or alter that, to mar that. And Paul himself says to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beware, beware of those who are going to mar the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of the gospel. Paul further describes this group. One last phrase, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. All right, this is not a reference to cannibals or serial killers. This is a clear reference to those who are consumed with an Old Testament mark of identity from the Abrahamic covenant. This is circumcision. A little awkward for us to talk of this, but a reality to Jewish people. This was the mark of identity from a holy God who brought his people into relationship with him. This was their mark of identity. We find now that through Jesus Christ, we now go from, a, they have, we have transitioned from an outer mark now to an inner spiritual mark, a changed heart. This is where we've transitioned through Jesus Christ. And there were, there were Judaizers, extreme Judaizers who said, no, you can't be spiritual by just Jesus. You have to be spiritual by Jesus and an outer mark. And Paul is saying, beware, look out. Beware, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is referring to those who find spiritual identity in self-sufficient outward rituals rather than the gospel-centered inward change that only comes through Jesus Christ. What's Paul's point here? You have been given something so special in Christ. And if I can resound that to the body of Christ here at Crosspoint Community Church, brothers and sisters, we have been given something so special Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rejoice. With all we have, let us rejoice in this gospel. But at the same time, we need to beware of those joy stealers that say the gospel is only sufficient if you match it. If your works earn it. And I want to be very clear on this, and we'll see this in the next couple of weeks. God is never opposed to effort. Please bring that into our minds. In fact, he encourages effort. He is only opposed to this earning. We cannot earn a right standing before God. But you know what grace says? Grace says, I can't earn a right standing before God. But now through Jesus Christ, because I have this right standing before God, I'm going to put that maximum effort in my daily walk with Jesus. That's what true grace says. Paul very clearly in this passage says, rejoice in the Lord with all you got. But at the same time, what's going to safeguard that joy is beware of those who minimize the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. But then he doesn't stop there in this passage. We'll close out this morning. 
for another hour and a half. <laughs> We're going to close out this morning with actually the joy enhancers. He doesn't say just watch out for those who will steal your joy, but now embrace the things that are going to build up your joy. What are these things that are going to build up your joy? Well, look with me, if you would, in verse 3. Here's who we truly are. Here's how we find our true identity. For we are the circumcision. In other words, here's where we find our identity as New Covenant believers. We worship by the Spirit of God. And we glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Let's just walk through those quickly. What's the first thing he says here? We worship God by the Spirit. This word worship in your New Testaments is often translated by the word serve. We serve. We put practical service in. We, because of our relationship with God, we serve Him. And this service is known oftentimes as worship. How do you worship God? By serving Him diligently and reverentially. This service is not based on our own self-sufficiency, but on the fact that through Christ we have been, and please catch this, through Christ we have been permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith, God the Father plants the Holy Spirit deep into our hearts, into our lives. A Holy Spirit that will never leave us. Please understand that very clearly. This Holy Spirit will not leave the New Covenant believer. I mean, in fact, I love what Paul says to describe this in another book to another group of believers in Ephesus. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. And you can write down if you'd like verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1. Because this clearly tells us that we worship through the Holy Spirit. We can only worship God clearly because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in our lives. The permanent indwelling Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul says. Um, Actually, I'll I'll read in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So you have been blessed in Christ. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And here's here's the byproduct of of this salvation. That we should be holy and blameless before him. And you travel on through this wonderful text of Ephesians 1 and you come to verse 13. Please catch what Paul says about the Holy Spirit and our opportunity to worship, encouraging us to worship. Verse 13, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What guarantees our relationship with God? It is the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. He clearly says that the next verse, verse 14. This Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's the down payment. The guarantee that we have a relationship with God is the fact that the Holy Spirit of God will never leave us. The Holy Spirit of God is encouraging us to obey the word, obey the word, obey the word. Paul in Galatians says that the Holy Spirit of God is bearing fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. The Holy Spirit of God is, is what allows us to worship. And Paul says that. What's our new identity? We worship God by the Spirit. 
very clearly in second, you can write down another passage if you'd like to study later this week. In Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul shares with now us now the freedom that we have because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This difference between the Old Covenant and the Old Testament and the New Covenant, clearly defined in the New Testament, the main difference as you walk through these texts, the Holy Spirit of God is active in our lives, changing us, giving us a new heart. Uh, in fact, one of these passages, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he says this, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. Because you have been bought with a price. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. What is our sign? What, is, what do we hold on to, brothers and sisters in Christ, when our joy seems to be fleeting? Here's what we hold on to, that the Holy Spirit of God is active in our lives, driving us to the Word of God. He will not ever leave us comfortless. In fact, Jesus Christ himself, prior to, prior to going to the cross of Calvary in the upper room, what did he promise would come to the disciples? The comforter. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through, through Jesus Christ, we have a Comforter. Let us hold on to this as one of our signs of identity, true identity in Christ. Let's, let's keep going. Paul says, be confident in your new identity as you worship God through the Spirit and you glory in Christ Jesus. This word glory is another word for actually translated in the New Testament sometimes as boast. It's not a self-centered boasting. It's a glory and it's a true boasting. It is an exaltation of what rightfully needs to be exalted. And what does Paul say here? We boast, we exalt in, we take pride in not us, but in Christ Jesus. We boast in the one who has changed our lives, given us a new identity, and provided true, lasting joy. That is what we boast about. We glory in, we rejoice in. I absolutely love what Paul says in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Uh, he says this, But God forbid, some of your translations will use that terminology, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Jesus Christ has changed our lives. We now have reason to glory. What's going to stabilize our rejoicing? Verse 1 clearly says, rejoice in the Lord. What's going to stabilize that? Here's what's going to stabilize it. The fact that we constantly boast in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. He says one last thing here. <clears throat> I'm going to actually go a little quicker through this one because this is going to springboard us into next week's discussion. It's going to lead us right into the next verses. But here's what Paul says. Be confident in your new identity, and here's your new identity. You have no confidence in the flesh. <laughs> he just says it. No confidence means no dependence on, no trust in. When he's talking of the flesh, he's essentially talking of our own achievements and our own abilities. 
as much as we want to attach our significance to God based on our own, our own achievements, our own abilities, uh, even in this passage, our own performance, our own pedigree, the fact of the matter is we have no confidence in that flesh, no dependence on our flesh, no trust in it. Let us, there's the point I believe of this, this phrase, let us wholeheartedly rejoice today because our standing before God is on Christ's shoulders, not my shoulders. Our standing before God is not on your shoulders, it is on Jesus' shoulders. The shoulders that were nailed, held back to the cross of Calvary. As hard as we try, we cannot impress God with our achievements and our abilities. Again, I, I state, don't miss next week because we're going to focus more on this aspect of this joy. But if you're going to take all of this, summarize it down to a statement, I think it'd have to be something like this, taken straight from the text. Rejoice. We have to. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, brothers and sisters, we must rejoice. We have to rejoice. All through the day, every day, find our joy not in our own performance, our own presupposed merit, but solely found in the fact that we worship God by the Spirit, we glory in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in our flesh. Our new identity is in Christ through the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, this should make us smile this week. Will you be glad? As hard as we try, we can't impress this God. But we realize that Jesus did the hard work on the cross. And now because of this grace, we put a smile into the effort. Into the effort that walks day in, day out with decisions that now please this God. Makes this God smile. It should bring overwhelming joy to our hearts of, what, of this new identity in Christ, a joy that will drive us to a life of commitment and faithfulness with a smile on our faces, even through some of the darkest times that we will ever navigate. So what? We must rejoice by fully embracing our new identity. So what? Can we just ask this simple question as we close out this morning? Where's my joy grounded? That gladness in my heart. Is it grounded in my current circumstances? Is it grounded in my own amazing abilities? Is it grounded in what people say about me? Oh boy, that's a trap, isn't it? My joy based on what other people say about me? It's a nightmare. Or is my joy grounded in the fact that by grace through faith I have been permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit? By grace through faith I can boast in Jesus Christ and his sufficient work. By grace through faith I don't have to base my standing before God on my own merit. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh.